Good morning, and welcome to episode 54 of Effectively Wild, the Baseball Prospectus Daily Podcast in New York, New York. A little later than usual, just around 1.30 in the morning Eastern time, I am Ben Lindbergh, and in Long Beach, California, where, as always, it is three hours earlier, uh, is Sam Miller. How are you, Sam? Good. Uh, I heard a story on NPR today about a... Uh, Ooh, NPR. About- about an epidemic of crickets in Texas. This is uh, <laughs> relevant because yesterday we talked about crickets at uh, the Rangers ballpark. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the people they interviewed talked about how when the first cars drive into his parking lot at his business every day, it sounds like a car running over bubble wrap. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> uh, the crickets anyway. listening to this in your garage right now Not happy. are appalled. And there were crickets in your house yesterday, I am given to understand. There were there was a cricket in our house and another one in our attic and then another one that we found today. So they are moving in and actually, um, well, let's limit cricket cricket conversation. <laughs> yes, because I could I could talk for a long time about crickets. Okay, well, we'll just continue to spread it out among our many episodes. Um, so it's going to be a fun off season, Ben. Yes, uh, Homer Bailey has a beef with us. Uh, he ranted, and that was not my word, uh, it was the word of a column I read on Cincinnati.com. He ranted a bit about the overlooked Reds a couple days ago. Uh, he thinks the Reds haven't gotten enough attention. He says no one's even paid attention. You don't even hear about that on ESPN. We keep hearing about the Reds in the 70s. Nobody's talking about this team, this rotation, the things we've done, the amount of quality starts, the innings etc. He did not call us out by name, but you have to imagine that this was in some way inspired by our not talking about the Reds and then being chastised about it by a commenter and then half-heartedly talking about the Reds in a subsequent episode and then apologizing for that and not having talked about them since. This podcast now has two inside jokes and everybody who's (laughs) listening has now heard them both. (laughs) It's funny because on the 21st, uh, John Prado's On the Beat column included a scout's view about Homer Bailey that said he's pitching better than I've ever seen him. He's commanding his fastball to both sides of the plate, and he's getting ahead in the count. No one has ever questioned his raw talent, but he's finally learning how to channel it. And I had a debate with Bradley Ankrum that day uh, about whether that meant anything and how Bailey's peripherals at the time were almost identical to his peripherals last year and whether this scout was actually seeing something meaningful or had just happened to catch a good start or two. And then the start after that, he, uh, he gave up five runs in six and two-thirds, and I felt very smart. And then the start after that, he pitched a no-hitter with 10 strikeouts, and I felt less smart. So maybe that scout was onto something. Who's better, Homer Bailey or Phil Hughes? Uh, I don't know. I guess you kind of give Hughes the AL East boost, um, and maybe that pushes him over the top. Possibly. Yeah. I don't know. I'd have to look closer, but uh, they are kind of linked as hard throwing or formerly hard throwing right handers, top prospects who have not really developed. Uh, From the same year. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so okay. we have actual topics. Uh, what's yours? 
Um, I think I think we're we're maybe gonna have the same one. Mine is the uh, Buster only GMs players thing. Uh, I don't know if that's the same thing. I mine is about an idea Jeff Luno had. And... Oh, okay, we're different then. Okay, um, I'll I guess I'll talk about mine first because it'll probably be pretty short. Uh, I just read about this earlier tonight. Um, Jeff Luno had a good idea which is maybe not an unusual thing. He has had the good idea to hire two of our finest employees over the past year. And his latest good idea, I think, is to conduct year-end interviews with players. So uh, yesterday, Monday that is, he met with 12 players, both at the team's hotel and in the dugout prior to the Astros game against the Cubs for the first of three days of season-ending interviews. And he said... It's an exhausting process, but it's very worthwhile. It's a good opportunity for them to kind of recap the year and for me to give them my perspective and hear what their goals are for the season going forward. It's been good. It was a chance for the players to talk about their performance this season and where they stand in the organization heading into next year. And he added that he learned something from every single one of them uh, and learned about what's going on in the clubhouse and how everyone's feeling and planning to prepare for the offseason. So... That was just something that struck me as a very good idea, and yeah, I asked you. Amazing. Yeah, I asked you before we started recording, uh, without telling you why. I asked you whether you would could think of any general managers doing something like this, uh, and you could not, and I cannot either. And it seems like something that in the past happened, uh, just because with the reserve clause, players would go to year, year to year with their contracts and they would have to negotiate every off season um, for their contract for the upcoming year. And so that would be, I guess, a time for them to talk with the general manager or, or the owner, whoever was running the team at the time about how their year went or what the expectations were for the coming year. Um, and of course, players do not miss the reserve clause, uh, but maybe they miss the opportunity to talk with the guy who decides what they make or whether they'll be back and give him their perspective. And it seems like the sort of thing that would be very useful for Lunau or any other GM. And I wonder whether this is something that will catch on. I'm uh, always surprised uh, to learn how few formal conversations actually happen between players and uh, the front office or players and even the um, the manager, there are a lot of informal conversations. There is a lot of chit-chat. There is a lot of um, discussion about added bat you just had or whatever. But it, um, you know, I, I mean, there are formal discussions, but it's uh, it surprises me whenever I ask about this how rare they are um, and how much less common I think they are than, for instance, formal conversations that I have with my bosses. Uh, about what I'm working on and what I'm doing. So, uh, not current bosses, but you know, in the past. <laughs> the podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I talk to my boss every day, formally. Uh, yeah. Well, it seems like a very clever idea. And I assume no agents were involved or anything as they would be in any kind of contract talk over the winter, and that this was just more of a one on one thing. And uh, it seems like a good idea. I don't know exactly what you would learn. Uh, he said he learned something from every one of them, and I don't know what the most useful piece of information would be, but maybe even more useful than the actual information is just the impression that he wants to talk to you. 
that you are able to talk to him. So kudos. Yeah, sounds good. Mm -hmm. I support it. Okay. Um, my topic is actually not totally unrelated, uh, although it will not use any of the same words. Um, Mr. Olney wrote a, on his blog um, Saturday, I think, um, th about uh, the difference between players' opinions on the AL MVP and front office people's opinions on the AL MVP. And uh, I know we're all very sick of the MVP stuff, but this was actually one of the, maybe the most interesting thing I think I read this year. Um, I uh, What was interesting is that... Um, he, he, he estimated that he had sort of asked 50 people or so about this. And um, of all the uniformed personnel, managers, coaches, and players, all but two picked Cabrera. Oh. And of all the front office types, all but one picked Trout. And um, he quotes a veteran player who said that he would be really, really disappointed if Cabrera didn't win. And he quotes a front office official who says, why is there even a conversation? And um, this is Bill um, Parker, beloved Bill Parker uh, of Baseball Perspectives fame, wrote about this uh, elsewhere. And um, he kind of, uh, he came to the conclusion that, um, well, of course, players are idiots. <laughs> and uh, so it's really like you're, you're asking a, a person whose job it is to evaluate the value of players, uh, which player is valuable. And then you're asking a guy whose job is absolutely totally unrelated to measuring the value of players, whose job is simply to go up and uh, have fast twitch muscles and be an amazing athlete. And so it's not really a, a fair fight. And there's a there's I don't know, there's an, an there's an interesting angle there that um, I don't uh know that I totally 100% disagree with, but it's, um, I mean, it's fascinating to see just how big the gap is and to think that um, while we talk, I think, uh, quite frequently about how the stouts, uh, scouts versus stats divide is essentially um, a retired issue and has been for maybe six years or so, um, there, there are still two worlds in baseball, and there is a fairly peaceful um, detente right now. Um, but you do wonder, um, and we talked about this uh, a while back when we talked about the idea of general managers more forcefully uh, imparting their decisions um, or their their preferences on the field. Mm -hmm. um, you do wonder at what point uh, this divide is reckoned with, uh, if it ever needs to be reckoned with, if it's the sort of thing that will uh, melt away like... Um, uh, you know, over the course of years as the, uh, you know, as, as more of the kind of players, ex-players and, um, and, uh, uh, kind of academic types, uh, coexist in front offices and realize that they have the same goals or whether there's eventually going to be a clash where a GM, like maybe in Colorado decides that he wants to have an office in the locker room and, uh, make some of these decisions. Um, so I had lots of reactions to this only piece, but that's probably the, um, most obvious one. So what's your interpretation of the, of the reason for the divide then? It, it sounds like you're not convinced by the, by Bill's argument, which would probably be my snap judgment argument, at least that, uh, we're talking about people with different skill sets and, and it maybe makes sense that the 
front office guys who are in charge of evaluating players would have a better sense of what is valuable than the players who are doing and providing the value. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I I think that there's probably um, some truth to that, but but also, you know, it's uh, probably part of the um, found. Uh, I don't know. It's part of the it's part of the basic principles of baseball prospectus in its existence that players are bad um, at analyzing the sport, and I've said it. I've read it stated uh, exactly that way, um, and. I think that there's probably um, that probably underestimates what players have to tell us. Um, there was a time where scouts were considered by a lot of uh, stat heads to be uh, bordering on worthless, and uh, I'm probably creating a little bit of a straw man there, but not totally. And I mean, I there was a point where, as a 24 year old, I probably thought I knew more about baseball than scouts, and now that I <laughs> I'm a 32 year old and I sit next to scouts at games. Sometimes I realize how just absolutely insane that is and was, and, uh, and, and always was. Um, I think that there's probably a communication divide that, um, that really gets in the way of appreciating how much players have to offer as far as wisdom in the game. They're not generally great communicators. They are, they also have different communication goals in any situation. Their audience is, in a lot of ways, their peers, and uh, their audience is, in a lot of ways, simply, or their their goal is, in a lot of times, uh, simply to avoid saying anything that can be misinterpreted. So um, you're unlikely to necessarily hear a very wise thought from a player or an ex-player. But I think that they actually do know an awful lot about the game. And I think that over the next few years, especially as more and more players um, are from our generation and we're raised with a lot of these ideas as sort of accepted wisdom, I think we're going to be surprised to find out um, how much more uh, player opinions are a part of the way that we assess the sport. I think they know an awful lot and maybe more than front office people in certain areas. I'm... I'm reading a book from the early 90s by Keith Hernandez uh, called Pure Baseball, where he basically goes over two games in the middle of a summer, just pitch by pitch, play by play, and gives you some sense of what everyone is thinking and what everyone's looking for at the plate and and what the pitcher's approach is and what the hitter's approach is. And... I mean, it's clear that he knows an awful lot, uh, and he knows that more than than you or I know, and he knows probably more than a general manager knows, at least as far as uh, how to read a pitcher, certainly. Um, I guess it's just maybe when it comes to translating statistics into runs or wins above average or, or reducing them to pure value maybe that's just a completely different area um and one in which they haven't really had to specialize or they haven't been selected for their ability to evaluate people on that level yeah but unless you know the um unless you also know the details that keith hernandez knows about it's hard to know what to measure and i think a perfect example of that is catcher framing Mm -hmm. um it's probably um it's fairly well accepted now that for um, for decades there was a blind spot in stat head analysis for catcher framing, mm-hmm. and I don't think there was a blind spot 
as far as players' perspective. I think that they knew exactly, uh, or at least they knew generally how important it was and what a significant factor it was. And they, um, uh, knowing that uh, helps you know what to measure. And um, so I don't know. I think that there's a there's a there's a way that um, being uh, involved in the game and being uh, being able to play the game does give you a certain wisdom in what's important and what makes different situations different and what helps you measure things correctly um, with more nuance. Uh, as for Cabrera and Trout, my suspicion is that it comes down almost entirely to age and that this is simply... I, I would imagine that if it, if it were, instead of um, uh, Trout and Cabrera with these numbers, if it were, say, Bryce Harper, who had Cabrera's numbers... And it were, jeez, um, uh, I don't even know who the NL equivalent would be, but maybe McCutcheon. Maybe McCutcheon's not old enough, but somebody um, who was putting up Trout's numbers. I my suspicion is that the players would overwhelmingly pick the veteran again. I just think that there's a sense that you can't be a team leader in uh, as a 20 year old. As much as the Angels rave about him in the clubhouse, uh, there's. I think there's probably a, a bias against uh, young players as team leaders and that there is a bias toward picking a team leader in uh, discussions of value. Yeah, that could be. And and maybe also uh, a bias toward picking someone from a playoff team since that is what they're all trying to be yeah. or to do. Yeah, only though uh, didn't ask all these players on Friday night. He asked them over the course of um, the last few weeks, I believe, uh-huh. and the Angels and Tigers have been in essentially the same position mm-hmm. um, during that stretch. Mm-hmm. All right. But yes, I think that as well. Okay. Uh, right. Well, that's it for today. Uh, we'll be back with episode 55 on Wednesday.